0: 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms because businesses that grow grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com/work. shopify.com/work.
1: A jewel in the desert.
0: A round city full of merchants, rulers and scholars.
1: The great minds of the Abbasid Empire.
0: This is Figures of Baghdad. Hello fellow travellers and welcome to Figures of Baghdad. I'm Dina.
1: And I'm Ali.
0: Ali, the life story of Arib has really sparked my curiosity and I am ready for more. Can we visit another scholar maybe? Someone as interesting as Arib?
1: Let's do it. Let's take a walk to al Jahez's house which is really nearby.
0: Hold on, al Doesn't that mean...
1: Bug-eyed. <laughs> it's a horrible nickname.
0: Ouch, poor guy. Honestly, a nickname can really affect you.
1: It really can.
0: Did you have one growing up, Ali?
1: No, but that Prince Ali song was the bane of my existence. Kids could come up with the most creative lyrics, I, let me tell you. How about you, Dina?
0: Yeah, kids can be really mean. I had loads because I had a monoprow when I was in school, so oh, I'll dear. let you run wild with your imagination <laughs> and what the kids could have called me. But I mean, bug-eyed, that must have been a really tough childhood for Algarhiz.
1: It was not an easy early life for him. I mean, he grew up very, very poor in the city of Basra. He used to fish in one of the canals in order to help support his family.
0: A very different life from the Banu Musa who grew up in the courts and enjoyed the power and wealth of their patrons, the Caliphs.
1: <laughs> Al-Jahiz and the Banu Musa come from two completely different social worlds, but they really were united by their love of learning.
0: And I remember you mentioning that the House of Wisdom is open to everyone, even if you're poor. But I know that it would be a lot harder to have access to the type of knowledge and learning that the wealthy and powerful have. The Banu Musa had one-on-one tuition in the House of Wisdom, so what did Al-Gahis have?
1: I mean, access was so different based on class, but I mean, thanks to that Abbasid cultural renaissance and that availability of paper that we talked about, books became increasingly accessible. What the House of Wisdom would produce would eventually be sold in local bookshops, and that's how he would gain access. So sort of filtering down, if you will.
0: And we know very well that medieval Baghdad really valued, as a culture, learning and knowledge. They would want books to be widely spread, they would want people to learn, and thanks to the availability of books, there were more and more people who were literate.
1: Yeah, I mean, learning and education was one of the few ways that the Abbasids had real social mobility. If you became learned, it didn't matter what your background was, actually.
0: So you could be a poor kid fishing in canals, but still become a scholar. A very meritocratic society.
1: <laughs> and that's our Jahez. He actually used to hang out near the local mosque, where he and his other young friends would listen into the latest theories and the philosophies. Basra, the city that he was in, was reputed to be a major intellectual Center for Language and Grammar. So they would listen in and then al-Jahiz and his friends would have debates of their own right out in the streets.
0: Like a medieval version of those dude podcasts, but less annoying?
1: (laughs) Definitely more interesting. (laughs) (laughs)
0: So Al-Gahar has worked his way up. He earned his knowledge bit by bit. That can't have been easy.
1: Quite literally. His learning was really hard uh, and he had to gain his knowledge little by little, but he was an incredibly prolific writer. In fact, at one point he supposedly wrote a treatise about the caliphate and that captures the attention of Al-Ma'mun.
0: And we should all remember that Al-Ma'mun was the caliph who really treasured scholarship just like his father. So all the Khalifs love knowledge, but Al-Ma'mun, as we know, hosted debates and even was a bit of a scholar himself.
1: He fancied himself a philosopher king of sorts.
0: So catching the attention of Al-Ma'mun would have been huge for Al-Gahiz. It could literally change his life.
1: And it did. He was invited to Baghdad, where he would now be among the very scholars he was reading. He would no longer need to fish for a living and instead live off his knowledge and his books. (laughs)
0: I really love the stories of people who work hard at what they're really passionate about and are rewarded for it. Algarhez's humble origins are somewhat similar to Arib from the previous episode, who started off as a slave and became wealthy in her
1: own right. Mm-hmm. And what's fascinating is that we're seeing these people change their social class, like you mentioned Arib. For a medieval city or a time and place that's bound by lineage and dynasties, there are these people who absolutely change their lot in life, whether through skill or knowledge, and that's partly because of the Abbasids themselves, because they cherished learning.
0: When I look back at history and society, I never really think about people climbing social ladders. Mm-hmm. Something that's beautiful from the discussions we've had is that there really is a chance for people to gain knowledge and change their life.
1: Right, for Al-Jahiz, it meant that he could now live the life he loved more than anything else, the life of a scholar. And he truly loved learning, he truly loved knowledge, and now he could make a living off of it.
0: He's a scholar's scholar then. With some like the Banu Musa, they put their research and studies in service of the Khalif, but Al-Gahiz seems to do what he does for the sake of learning itself.
1: I love that. I'm going to borrow that for when I describe Al-Jahiz, Dina. So the biographer Ibn Nadim tells a story of how Al-Jahiz would stop at a bookstore, pick up a book and read the whole thing right then and there. Nothing could stop him from reading. He was truly a book nerd.
0: They didn't make him pay for the book he just read.
1: (laughs) He he would just pick up a book and read it right there.
0: He must have loved Baghdad then because I remember last season we talked about Al-Mu'tanabi, the book markets overflowing with books.
1: Yeah, he was in his element. And honestly, many of those books he wrote himself.
0: Did he write even more than Ibn Isha, the head of the House of Wisdom?
1: Maybe. I mean, he's credited with writing over 200 books covering a range of topics from grammar to humour to religion, politics and science.
0: 200 books in a single lifetime? Uh Uh-huh. Oh my God, I think that really drives home how different this time was. If the caliph or someone wealthy patronised you, you then could spend your entire life writing.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's a good life.
0: I mean, today, even if someone is prolific, Ali, 200 books is huge. I'm not over that.
1: It is a really wild number. It's it's kind of goals, to be honest, if if you're an author. Uh, But that was, you know, the life he always wanted growing up. We mentioned that learning in the Islamic period had kind of two impulses, remember?
0: Yes, I remember. It was encyclopedic knowledge and investigative knowledge.
1: Right. So Al-Jahiz was drawn to that encyclopedic style of knowledge and writing. He saw himself as a witness recording the world around him. So that's why he was so prolific.
0: Okay, so he wrote books on his observations, what he saw... Can I then say that's ancient medieval journaling?
1: <laughs> I love that. It's a great description. These were medieval journals of sorts. These were medieval versions of encyclopedias cataloguing the knowledge of his day while also, of course, expanding it.
0: And these aren't small texts. I'm talking encyclopedic like books in, he's writing in a large scale, large text.
1: With multiple volumes.
0: I can envision it now, a medieval version of the encyclopedia Britannica spanning multiple volumes, thick with knowledge.
1: Oh, that's perfect. I always wanted those Encyclopedia Britannica in your house. That's how you knew you were a real book nerd is when you had those collections. And it's really that love of books that he had that made him one of these great book collectors. So not only an author, but an amazing book collector in his own right. It's said that his library, his personal library, was absolutely massive.
0: And I guess that makes total sense. He grew up very hungry for learning.
1: Yeah, he would have to earn these books the hard way, gather sort of snippets of knowledge here or there from passing scholars.
0: And now when he's made it, he enjoys the wealth he spends on the things he wanted the most growing up, books. Mm. That's beautiful. Beautiful. Ali, let's talk a little bit about the books he wrote. We can't just skip past this 200. (laughs)
1: Yeah, Yeah, they cover a wide range of topics from grammar to religion to rhetoric and to science. Uh, One of his most favorite uh, books and probably his most famous, in my humble opinion, is the Kitab al-Hayawan or the Book of Animals.
0: I love animals, as you know. Mm-hmm. What's your favorite animal, Ali?
1: I'd have to say cats and otters. Don't you have oh, a very cute dog?
0: I do. I have a stubborn Shiba Inu called Leela. She's beautiful
1: and she's cute and fluffy and white. That's so cute. So the Book of Animals is this massive encyclopedia cataloging all the different species of animals there are out there. It also has, and this is the most fascinating bit, some early hints of the theory of evolution. Maybe not the complete theory, but Jahez really speculates on the role of the environment on different animals, why some animals have fur, some have horns, that the environment shapes them that way way.
0: I really love how the thinkers of this time were always looking at changing the way they see the world or trying to mm-hmm. take notes of what's different. And am I right in saying that his theory came before Darwin's theory of evolution then?
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, he's almost a thousand years before Darwin. So that, that really puts into perspective how radical... Wow what he's doing is. It kind of blows your mind. And again, it's not like the full theory of evolution, but a thousand years before Darwin, he's already introducing this environmental component that wouldn't be picked up in the rest of the world for them. you know, a thousand years later. He even uses that same environmental theory to talk about his fellow humans. He talks about race. He's one of the earliest thinkers talking about race and why people are different. He rejects some of the racist theories about, for example, Africans being cursed by God. He writes, in fact, I quote, the Zanj, which is the name for sort of East Africans or people from Africa, and we'll talk about the Zanj in a future episode. He says that the Zanj say that God did not make them black to disfigure them. Rather, it is their environment that made them so. The best evidence of this is that there are black tribes among the Arabs. I mean, we're talking about stuff from a thousand years ago, and he's talking about scientific theories of difference.
0: That is honestly so amazing, and his observations line up even today. We are shaped by our environment. That is true, and... Maybe he didn't explicitly talk about evolution or name it evolution, but he knew about the impact of the environment.
1: Oh, absolutely. And he takes his theories even further. The idea that the environment and the climate has an impact on your health so that if you felt sick or poorly, it wasn't just that you were cursed or you were facing a demon or a spirit, but maybe it was from the heat. Maybe it was from the climate that doesn't mesh with your own internal climate.
0: That reminds me of Ibn theory about hot and cold, dry and wet.
1: Yeah, so they're really thinking of a holistic understanding of health, climate, diet. So you can see that Ibn Ishaq and Al-Jahiz are lining up their theories, whether they're talking about your internal, uh, you know, balance or they're talking about the environment around you. It's a really, really brilliant time, yeah. and Al-Jahiz is a brilliant guy. And I gotta say, I would like to think that he went out the way he wanted.
0: Uh, Ali, what do you mean? I'm almost afraid to ask.
1: Do you remember that massive library of his?
0: Oh god, yeah.
1: Well, when he was in his 90s, one of the piles of books toppled over and it ended up killing him.
0: <gasps> no way! Ali, we can't end the podcast on that note.
1: <laughs> Honestly, I, I kind of would like to go out that way as well. <laughs>
0: you and your warrior nerd stuff. Stop saying
1: that. <laughs> All right, you're right. We can't end it on that note. So let me just end it by saying, in addition to his scientific writings, Al-Jahiz was a really, really funny guy. He was a humorist. He, in fact, wrote a book called The Book of Misers, where he complains about all the greedy people and stingy people in the world. And one of the people he complains about is Al-Kindi. Do you remember Al-Kindi?
0: Oh, the man who had his books confiscated by Banu Musa.
1: That's right. Maybe now, once you hear this story, we'll say, okay, he deserved to have (laughs) his books confiscated. Because according to Al-Jahez, one time he had guests over in his nice house and the guests came with their family members. All went well until the end of the visit when Al-Kindi slaps them with a bill for all the food and board. This is like a medieval version of Airbnb from from A Nightmare.
0: That is a huge no-no in Arab culture. We're very much, we'll cover the bill, we're inviting you into our home, it's all on us. So I Mm -hmm. can't even imagine someone doing that.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, breaking taboos about generosity and hosting. It's Al-Jahiz gives him a poke for a reason.
0: And what's worse is that al has written it. And you're going to see that forever. He will always be known as the stingy, stingy person.
1: Uh, yeah. In addition to being a great philosopher, we will always remember that Al-Kindi had this other side to him.
0: <laughs> what a life al had from a poor boy selling fish to one of the greatest scholars in medieval Baghdad, author to hundreds of books, an encyclopedic thinker, and a bookworm. Thinking about the scientific impact of the natural world on humans and animals as well, and I can see why we visited El Little by little, we are seeing all the diverse people of this historic city, figures that are part of the Assassin's Creed Mirage. Thank you for coming along. I'm Dina.
1: And I'm Ali. This is a Ubisoft podcast produced by Paradiso Media. Be sure to subscribe to the Echoes of History podcast so you don't miss the next episode of Figures of Baghdad. See you next time, fellow travelers.